Hey there, Five Things listener. We talk a lot in the show about the social platforms we use, but very rarely do we talk about who we follow. And we all follow people online. But did you ever wonder who those people follow? Every week on the Follow Friday podcast, you'll find out. It's a guide to the best people on the internet, including past guests like Song Exploders' Harisha Keish-Hirway, YouTube star Tom Scott, and New York Times writer Kara Swisher. A lot of the folks that host Eric Johnson has interviewed are people I follow. So search for Follow Friday in your podcast app now or go to followfridaypodcast.com. Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we search the internet for the best stories in social media with as much diligence as high school kids did in the early 2000s to find the best songs on Napster. We curate those down to give you the five best things of the week. Burn it to a CD, write on it with Sharpie, and hand deliver it to you in the back of class so that you can put it in your discman and rock all week long. We have Tommy Boyce and Amanda Davis here. Hello, Tommy. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Joey. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Joey. Hey, Amanda. I never did that. You, of course you didn't. Uh, Question for you both. Are you sad about Apple's recent announcement to discontinue the iPod? I'm a little sad, but I more so am wondering when they're going to discontinue the iPad because I just have a hateful vengeance towards an iPad for no reason at all. I love my iPad. What do you think, Tommy? I am a little sad. I remember my first iPod Nano and listening to Replay by Ayaz on it. And that was such a specific time in my life that I'm like, oh, sad to see it go. I do like that those machines will give you like one song that you think of. Um, Mine is Bell and Sebastian album. It's very iconic to my iPod era. I remember having uh, the first iPod that had video on it and watching an episode of The Office and feeling like that was so... Cool. Anyway, I'm Joey Scarillo. I also have over 10,000 songs, and here are the five things. First up, Amanda tells us about Elon Musk unveiling his plans for Twitter. Then Tommy breaks down a story from Hot Pod that says podcasting is to become a $4 billion industry by 2024. Amanda gets into Instagram, who are testing NFT display options. Tommy tells us about a new study that outlines Snapchat best practices. And finally, Amanda talks TikTok, who shared insights into emerging gaming trends. All right, Amanda, you are up first. Tell us about what Elon Musk has planned for Twitter. All right. I'm sure this is going to be a recurring theme for us over the next few five things, but there's some more Elon Twitter news. And let me caveat at the time of this recording, some of this might change, but what will have been steadfast is that Elon presented a pitch deck to some Twitter investors last week, outlining his goals on how to monetize the platform through 2028. So there's a lot of information here. Well, I'd say there's a lot of ideas in here. Um, But the headline is that the revenue will actually quintuple, which is a word I've never said before, between now and 2028. So right now, Twitter's revenue is around $5 billion, um, And he's proposing that this plan will help them get to $26.4 billion in the next six years. So just some top line um, approaches that he's included is that actually while the revenue will quintuple, 45% less revenue will come from brand advertising units. So right now about 90% of revenue comes from advertising and he's proposing about 50, maybe less than 50 comes from advertising. So immediately you think we're going to make more money but we're going to make less of it through the thing that makes us money now. So he's outlined where he thinks the revenue is coming from. The first one will be subscription services. So Twitter Blue already exists on the platform. 
um, it makes about 1.5 billion, which is about 35% of the current revenue. So he wants to bring that 1.5 billion in Twitter blue money. He wants to bring that to 10 billion by 2028. So what that means is between a little bit less brand advertising and a little bit more Twitter blue, we're getting closer to that $26.4 billion goal. What he thinks the last about four and a half billion will come from is two places. One, digital payment services and two, Twitter X. So first, digital payment services. Right now, Twitter has tipping and subscription services like we mentioned, where they basically take a processing fee on each transaction. And right now that only makes up about $15 million of their revenue, million with an M. Um, And he wants that to grow to $1.3 billion with a B. A little bit unclear how this is going to grow other than just getting more people on the platform and more people paying for these services. But he did help popularize um, PayPal before there was Cash App and Venmo. So he's been in this digital payment service for a minute. In my opinion, that would be a trustless Web3 approach, but I am not the billionaire. So we will see what he comes up with. Secondly, he's introducing something called Twitter X. Very mysterious. No information about what this is. So right now, anything at this point is truly speculation. There's a couple of theories and I Googled and searched what my theory of it might be. But he thinks that 9 million people will be subscribed to what he's calling Twitter X by 2028. No one shares my opinion about what this might be. Um, So I'm either a genius or I'm totally off base. But my thought is that perhaps when we're thinking of subscriptions and we're thinking about white spaces in the market of websites like OnlyFans, perhaps this is an adult service. We don't know. Truly speculation. Curious what you guys think it might be. And then lastly, some other details of this um, report that had leaked. He is planning to go through a couple phases of hiring and firing over the next six years, but ending up with 3,600 more employees by 2028. And he's also expecting to reach 931 million users by the end of the six-year plan. Right now, they're only at about 2 to 10 million. Um, so that's adding about 7 million people to the platform. A lot to unpack there, but he wasted no time. Yeah, wow, he jumped right in. Um, okay, so I, I do I want to come back to you and talk about Twitter X in a minute, but I want to ask Tommy this question first. It's interesting what Elon is predicting uh, for advertisers. Do you think he's sort of hedging his bets that advertisers are going to pull out of Twitter when he takes over and all these changes happen? I think maybe so. To me, these ideas, they're not... <laughs> They're just vibes. There's a lot of vibes going on here. I don't understand how he thinks he's going to quintuple revenue in six years and reach, go from about 200 million users to 931 million in the same time span. So just a lot of vibes. And I do think, I mean, Elon is going to Elon and it's going to be probably abrasive. And he made a same recently, which we should talk about, where he would go against and bring back Donald Trump on Twitter. And that idea is going to be not very attractive to a lot of advertisers on the platform. And so I think him hedging his bets with Twitter X, which sounds like the ingredient that made the Powerpuff Girls, and trying to move away from brand advertising, I think it's part of his plan to be like, okay, people are going to go away. We're going to lose money from here. So we're going to make money happen in this sort of unknown vibey way. So I do think this is his way of trying to just like cover all his bases and just throw whatever dart he can at the dartboard and see what sticks. Well, speaking of vibes, I'm so curious why you think, Amanda, that Twitter X is going to be an OnlyFans knockoff. I mean, 
look, you might be right. You, we might look at you and say, that was a brilliant prediction. But what, what gives you that impression? To clarify, I am running off the same information detail that Elon is running off of, which really just feels like vibes. Um, I do know that OnlyFans has around 50 million active users and Elon is planning for 9 million people to use this Twitter X service. Um, Elon is positioning Twitter as this free speech, open market, creator economy offering that relies on subscription services. And that can include everything from a Substack like opinion-based subscription service, which is a little bit of what he thinks Twitter will run like, to the alternate version of that, which is content. And it's every kind of content. So while we don't really have an example of monetized content on other platforms, other than advertisements on YouTube, et cetera, the version of that that's missing from this 360 subscription model could be adult content. Well, we will see. (laughs) All right, Tommy, let's jump over to podcasting. Uh, becoming a $4 billion industry by 2024. This is an interesting report from Hot Pod uh, from The Verge. So break it down for us. Yeah, so this is a fun one, especially after Facebook declared that podcasts were over last week. So the Interactive Advertising Bureau and PricewaterhouseCoopers released their you know annual joint report on the podcasting business. And it projected that the industry will generate $2 billion in revenue this year and $4 billion by 2024. And this growth is not just because the number of podcasts and time that people spend listening to podcasts are increasing, although that certainly doesn't hurt. A lot of it, according to a report, also comes from advances in ad tech that allows advertisers to better target audiences and encourage them to spend more money. So the way that ads are placed in podcasts has changed significantly over the last couple of years. Dynamically, placed ads made up less than half of the podcast ad market, less, you know, in 2019. And last year, 84% of ads were dynamically inserted into podcasts. Plus, advertisers traditionally placed ads based on podcast genre and content, which cast, you know, really wide, although sometimes ineffective net. And this shift in advertising has had a number of effects. First, it encourages advertisers to spend more money if they're seeing better results. And also, it enables podcasters to effectively monetize their back catalogs by allowing them to place new ads in all episodes. And I know that I will go back and listen to my favorite old podcast episodes or if I'm getting into a podcast, especially, you know, with the rise and popularity of true crime ones that aren't based off current trends, you can just go back and listen to the entire whole thing and you can make money off of old episodes now. And all this is very exciting given that, you know, we're currently taking part in the whole podcast space right now. But also, it's just that podcasts are exploding. They went from a $1 billion industry, which is already a staggering amount, in 2021, to quadrupling that in three years, which is just crazy. And podcasts are a fantastic way for brands to find and connect with audiences that share specific and sometimes very niche interests and personalities. And by this metric, this growth in revenue, they're certainly not going away. So I think that brands and marketers should you know, try to figure out how they can get in on the action while things are getting increasingly hot and figure out ways to reach, you know, these niche people in this new, exciting audio space. That's not really new anymore. It's actually kind of maturing and we're figuring out just how we can effectively take advantage of it. Yeah, it is. It, it's interesting. It's at a place right now where it is, it's almost like it's coming of age story, right? It's now proving that it's worth it, worth being in a media plan. I'm curious, Amanda, are you are you seeing this from clients? Are you promoting it, talking about it with clients to include audio in their mix of where they should be activating. 
Yeah, I think what we're seeing a lot of is the shift from broad, quote unquote, audio advertising in which you could record a 6, 10, 15 second spot inserted into Pandora, Spotify, podcast, et cetera. And the same way that we approach social media, understanding like what is that more bespoke approach to how we're reaching the audience? It might look different again on a music platform versus a podcast platform versus a conversational audio platform versus an Alexa placement. So I think what we're seeing to Tommy's point is the maturation of audio advertising and how that actually can be a really heavy lift for brands and, and do the work that it's supposed to do when it's integrated properly into the more bespoke channels. Yes. And now's the perfect time to say, if you would like to advertise on this podcast, please reach out to us at podcast at gray.com. <laughs> Had to do a plug, right? Anyway, let's move on to our third thing of the day. Amanda, tell us about Instagram who are testing NFT display options. Instagram has just launched a small test of users um, that will allow them to display their NFTs on the mainline feed and Instagram stories and in DMs. It was not noted yet if they're going to have profile picture functionality like Twitter that actually verifies if something is an NFT versus a normal JPEG. They did, however, show examples of a marketplace and a bidding feature so that people could actually purchase NFTs on the platform and add a tab to switch between home and explore pages. So it's clear they're going all in on NFTs. Um, candidly, not incredibly surprising. NFTs have been something that Meta, Instagram, and Facebook all separately have invested in over the last few years. And I will say it's getting some mixed reviews from creators. Again, I feel it was pretty inevitable and not surprising, but a lot of core platform creators feel like Instagram has kind of ignored their requests for what the community wants um, and instead added something that a lot of creators are not 100% clear on how it will benefit them. What I will say is they partnered with a lot of really great creators in the NFT space, Malia from Women Rise, Ocean, Swopes. These are really well-respected creators in the NFT community. I think it's awesome that they you know, partnered with them to create this offering. What I will say that I think is missing is... A little bit of that education um, functionality, helping creators understand, you know, we're beyond what an NFT is, but how can you as an artist, as a creator on the platform, really use this to your advantage? How does it help support your craft and how does it add to the experience on the platform? So hoping that they will add more tools and offerings and education for how people can actually leverage this. But no surprise here, more meta getting into the NFT game. Tommy, do you think that it makes sense for an app like Instagram to dip into this NFT area, maybe even more so than Twitter? I think it does in terms of the fact that Instagram is primarily visually focused, which obviously NFTs are visual. And it makes sense. It gives artists more chance to showcase their art on this platform. Even though Instagram is famously moving away from being photo sharing, it still has a capability. And it's still a core part of how people will use it. So it makes sense that it's giving artists a chance to show off their work. I do think this is another case of Instagram being tardy to the party. And I'm not sure why they did not get on this sooner, given that one, Twitter has been in this for a while longer. And also, famously, crypto markets are crashing right now. And not that they won't be volatile for you know the rest of our lives, but it's especially timely right now. And so I think that it makes sense for Instagram. I think it's just another case of maybe Instagram, instead of finding innovation when it happens, piggybacking off of other platforms that have used it 
either more successfully or just gone there first. Yeah, I definitely think, Tommy, that Instagram is a little bit later to it because it looks like they're actually building a marketplace, whereas Twitter has just added the functionality of basically importing your NFTs from your wallet. Um, I think it's interesting that they are minting on both Polygon and Ethereum right now, and they're adding Flow and Solana soon as as alternate chains to mint on. So it looks like they are looking at interoperability, which of course will take a little bit longer. But I totally agree too, thinking about a lot of these NFT projects are experiencing you know, a little bit of that tumble that's happening, not just with, with crypto and NFT markets, but also the larger stock market, inflation in the US economy, et cetera. It's an interesting time to do it without the support of helping people understand how this can help them. And I think that adds a layer of a little bit of tone deafness to what the market is experiencing right now and the conversations that are happening with NFT communities to just drop this without a lot of direction on the intent, where this is going, how this actually helps creators and how it might make sense for the platform. So intentions, probably quote unquote good, if we can say that about meta. Execution leaves a little bit to be desired. Right. Because what comes to mind when you think about Twitter versus Instagram for NFTs, right? Instagram is the more visual medium. However, do you think the audience is there on Instagram or is the audience more on Twitter? Amanda? I think they are more on Twitter, which is, again, if you bring something that feels like a new piece of technology to a platform that's not familiar with it, you're going to get a little bit of backlash from quote unquote traditional creators or creators who aren't invested in the NFT space. And you're going to get confusion. I really, truly think that if Instagram had rolled this out in a way that was a little bit more educational and a little bit more accessible versus just dropping the functionality with a few select creators, it would have garnered a little bit better of a reaction. People just don't know what to do with it at this point. Right. Interesting. All right. Well, we will definitely be keeping an eye on all NFT activity over here. But for now, let's talk about Snapchat best practices. Tommy, tell us about the new study that they put out. So this is cool. The team from VidMob, which is a creative intelligence platform, looked to find out how creatives can improve marketing approaches on Snapchat. And so in a three-part study, which saw them analyze over 14,000 Snap ad campaigns, so that is a representative sample, if I've ever seen one, that ran over the last three years to understand the key best practices and approaches of advertising on Snapchat. And so the study is split into three verticals, financial services, CPG, and entertainment. And all of these white papers with the specifics are available online, um, and you should definitely check them out. But these are some of the highlights that apply to all of the verticals, so all advertising on Snap. So they found that creatives with a high degree of contrast and bold colors saw higher swipe rates, as did minimized text. Another element that worked across all the verticals was celebrity-fronted campaigns, which, you know, that makes sense. We've seen that before. They saw higher view times and swipe rates. And other findings included that the campaigns were successful when they got their messaging across early and empathetically, when they stated their brand name immediately at the very beginning of an ad, displaying branding against images to make it stand out with a clearly stated call to action, and that kept creative under 10 seconds. And there's really a lot here that we can't uh, focus on given the timing and that there's three different studies happening. So definitely check it out. But I think the big takeaway is that we should go bold on Snapchat. Think, you know, quick, punchy, visually arresting stuff. The most successful campaigns were the ones that really hammered home branding early and effectively and with interesting visuals. So going in that direction is certainly a great place to start. And it makes sense. You know, Snap is where people go to see their friends 
and be happy. We talked about it earlier, how people are happier on Snapchat than any other platform. And so knowing that that is the vibe that happens on the platform and contributing to it will be sure to help your campaigns see more success. A lot of stats here. Amanda, any that jumped out to you as surprising? I thought what was really interesting was essentially the stats around how very well designed um, and thoughtfully designed assets really outperformed, um, I'd say, less memorable assets. So when you use bold colors, high degree of contrast, they had a 15% higher swipe up rate specifically for things like financial services than things with a low contrast video. And even when you look at CPG ads with, again, this very high color, high contrast um, design approach, they're yielding twice as much screen time as the other ads. So people are really paying attention. And I think to the point of the industry that we're all in, thinking about how thoughtfully designed and memorable these ads are, really help them perform on a platform where people want to take in branded content. All right. Three cheers for Snapchat once again. We just, we love Snapchat over here. All right, Amanda, take us home. Let's talk about TikTok and their new insights into emerging gaming trends. I feel like this is uh, perfectly teed up for you. Tell us about it. I feel like the topics were made for me today. Um, So TikTok has released a report around gaming content on the platform, specifically around mobile gaming and the behavior of people that consume content around this. So I will say right now, mobile gamers, there's around 2 million globally, and that's projected to be around 3 million in just one year. So it's a hugely growing space. The top 100 gaming-related hashtags on TikTok receive 40 billion views per month. So a lot of people are creating and consuming gaming content on TikTok, which might be unexpected. Some key takeaways of the report um, was actually that TikTok complements traditional ad formats with almost a halo effect. So when someone views an ad on TV after viewing a TikTok creator ad, their memory of that content actually increases by 13%. It also amplifies other social media content. So if someone watches an Instagram influencer's content, they're 43% more likely to remember the content and kind of be primed for it to experience it in TikTok. And additionally, it adds to other digital video content. So users are 31% less likely to skip through a YouTube ad if they're already familiar with the product from watching a creator ad on TikTok. So this is really all about how these channels can actually play together. And this is related to gaming content, but I think the takeaways probably apply to a lot of different industries and verticals. In the report, they've also included some direction on launch approaches, how to get people interested in your game, some content best practices, and what kind of gaming content is most popular on the platform. And I also want to call out that I think there's a big opportunity for brands to actually engage with gaming audiences through content. There's really great ways to partner with actual titles in-game for that first-player experience. But the amount of gaming and esports content that's consumed on social media specifically really reaches this exponentially large audience that you can find really interesting storytelling approaches when you think about how your brand is showing up. I also want to note that this report comes out just before the release of Apex Legends mobile version of their game, which has been highly anticipated. It's a huge game globally. So for them to add um, their hat into the mobile gaming arena is a big deal. It will be released on May 17th. So curious to see how all of this starts to play together. And this creates a little bit of a wave effect with this audience. Okay, I may have been living under a rock. But what comes to mind when I think about gaming on TikTok, or at least viewing like gaming, streaming, is like, we, we say this all the time at Gray, but it feels surprisingly inevitable. 
it feels like I should have seen this coming a mile away, but I didn't. Tommy, did this surprise you? Are you like so interested in this or is this like, does it blow you away that gaming content would be on TikTok? No, my first thought is no, not really, honestly, because I mean, you see just how popular gaming is on social media and the internet. Given that TikTok is the massive platform that it is, it makes total sense. Again, it is, to me, it's just inevitable that it would start adopting this and that it would make use of gaming given the success and just like sheer audiences that gaming has. I mean, famously, people watch gaming more than they watch any sport in the world. So it makes total sense to me. And uh, Amanda, what else uh, do you think about this? Yeah, I also want to add that I think there's some language that we need to unpack a little bit more. One being gamers and gaming. I think some of us tend to have the idea that this means, you know, a specific type of audience or a specific type of first person shooter game. And sure, that's correct. But also at the same time, mobile gaming denotes things like Candy Crush and Temple Run, which again, isn't wrong. But at the same time, all of these genres and interests have started to not only overlap, but also expand. So gaming now includes you know, more relaxing uh, ASMR games, things like Animal Crossing. It includes metaverse gaming, um, time spent on platforms, socializing and things like that. So when we think about mobile and gaming separately and together, the picture that's painted in 2022 looks a lot different than what we saw five years ago. So the growth and explosion of gamified experiences really starts to look a lot different um, than what we might think right off the bat. All right. Well, that does it for us today. I mean, friends, this was a lot of information and a lot to unpack and just a wonderful conversation as always. Uh, If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us or write to us. Uh, If you've got questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, email us at podcasts at gray.com. Also, if you're interested in advertising with us or doing a promo swap with us, reach out to us at that same email address. Um, I want to thank Tommy and Amanda for joining us. Thanks to Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes for making us sound great. And thank you, listener. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.